Welcome to the Denver Deep Dive Podcast. We are your hosts, Charlie Cummings and Lorenzo Gonzalez. Thanks for joining us. Our focus is on bringing awareness to the expert knowledge, passion, and personalities that have been and continue to be part of Denver's vibrant growth. We'll be exploring commercial real estate, cryptocurrency, cannabis, food and beverage, and health and wellness, along with the experts operating enthusiastically in each space. Every episode will showcase the individuals impacting these arenas, what they see as industry participants, and what new insights you can take away for yourself and your current ventures. We know we aren't the only shamelessly curious people out there, so if you love learning for its own sake, you're in the right place. Follow us on social media, wherever you consume your podcast. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 12 of the Denver Deep Dive podcast. We're your hosts, Lorenzo Gonzalez and Charlie Cummings. Today, we're very eager to welcome Jezen Gregory, corporate and commercial real estate transactional attorney with Ruddy Gregory. Jezen's practice involves complex M&A business transactions, private equity, venture capital investing, commercial real property transactions, and general corporate transactions. Now, Denver's real estate market and development climate is still quite active with numerous new construction projects underway and a high volume of lease-up activity to follow. And after some initial conversations with you, Jezen, we thought this would be a phenomenal and incredibly practical interview given the amount and complexity of current and pending real estate and commercial lease transactions. So welcome and thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, one thing I want to highlight right off the bat is your significant experience in commercial lease work. We'll dive into this a bit more specifically soon, but I wanted to bring that up as a dominant theme in today's interview, because for those that are out there looking to start a business, looking for their first or next location, we want to bring some additional insight to the process of committing to a lease and some of the common pitfalls that you've personally seen and helped your clients work through. Uh, For now, though, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about how you got started in this space, because you possess a very particular brand and kind of collection of knowledge. Sure. Happy to. Um, So I've been practicing for 14 years originally in California, uh, and then I came back to my home state of Colorado. And uh, a couple years ago, I was also licensed in Texas. So uh, we have clients basically across the United States that we assist with different uh, M&A mergers and acquisition transactions. And in that, there is always a commercial real property piece, whether it's the purchase or sale of the property or a lease that we need to have assigned or um, or uh, enter a new one. So mm-hmm. that's sort of where I started my experience. Very nice. So I guess one of the things that came up very quickly as we were talking is the the seriousness of signing a lease. You know, right. there's a lot of businesses. Charlie, for mm-hmm. example, works with individuals that are looking to open up new locations, their next locations. Um, we see businesses expanding. We see businesses leaving spaces. Um, what are some of the things that you see going on that people aren't paying attention to when it comes to signing a new lease or um, upgrading their lease or sure. anything like that? Uh, I think the number one is not having an attorney review and negotiate the lease on your behalf. And you have to understand that the landlord has an attorney or a team of attorneys and uh, property managers, asset managers, everybody in the world who are are advising the landlord as to the terms that should be in the lease. And Mm -hmm. so if you're coming to the dance without somebody to protect your interests, you're already Hmm. behind. You're, you're starting off on a, um, on a much less even foot than the landlord. And I can tell you not just with commercial leasing, but transactions in general, 
that if you have a transactional attorney at the start of your transaction, you end up saving more money in the mm. end than you, in, when, in, when there's a dispute that comes up. And frankly, if you're involved in a commercial lease, um, generally speaking, therefore many years at a time and many different things can happen to the space that you're leasing over that period of time. And you have to be prepared for that and you have to understand how the lease governs mm -hmm. that expanse of time. And um, so one, not getting an attorney and then really not understanding the importance and the legality of and the seriousness of the document that you're signing. I mean, right. um, people are spending money both ways on this lease, generally build outs and, you know, um, pre preparing the space for your leasing. And if you think you can just walk away from it, the landlord is not only out the money that they put into building it out, but they're out the money that they were expecting for the lease term. So they're right. going to come after you for those funds. And spaces in Denver are not inexpensive. No. So we're not talking And they're climbing about, every day. Right. So you think it's making landlords a little more predatory and some, you know, when you review some leases on behalf of tenants and you see some things in there really uh, favoring landlords, I mean, that's obviously a reason to have representation because right. in a climate where inventory is so tight, landlords can can charge quite a bit. Well, they, they have can the get advantage right now. Yeah. They have the advantage. And the state of Colorado is frankly a landlord friendly state over mm. tenants. So um, you really have to protect yourself to the best of your ability. And really, there are some instances where landlords will be reasonable if you're asking for reasonable changes. If you're asking for, uh, you know, non-market or unreasonable changes, then you shouldn't expect to get, you know, those revisions accepted. But certain certain things that you can do to um, put yourself in a more beneficial position in your lease. Mm -hmm. um, well, and you mentioned this the other day, but I know that sometimes folks will have hesitations or misgivings about like, oh, I don't want to redline too much or I don't want to change the contract a whole lot. Is that is that warranted or have you found that, you know, having sort of a back and forth review is actually relatively normal and warranted? It's definitely normal and warranted if you're dealing with an attorney on the other side. Now, there have been instances <laughs> where I can't get past the property manager right. or I can't get past the developer for whatever reason. And if that's, if that's the case, it's very difficult to start trying to argue legal concepts with somebody who isn't an attorney. So I always, you know, I try to go straight from my brokers to the attorneys. Um, I don't, I, I just can't get into negotiations with, um, with non-lawyers because, right. you know, a lawyer who is a reasonable attorney will see what I'm saying and, and agree. Um, I was just negotiating a lease with a firm in uh, L.A. And I had to at one point say, look, this is not Beverly Hills. This is Broomfield, Colorado. I'm not sure if you've ever been there, but, you know, what you're saying is not reasonable. And so, you know, she was able to understand what I was saying, walked back, whatever it was that we were negotiating at that time. Well, and so, Charlie, I know that you can speak to this more, but, you know, commercial brokers sit at the center of a lot of different occupations and their knowledge is very, very diverse. Um, right. What, I mean, I guess, and maybe this is a question for both of you guys, but what are some of the, the areas where it's good to understand where your expertise ends and where it begins? Because I would imagine that, you know, a commercial broker is getting questions that begin to kind of border on asking for legal advice uh, and the opposite being true where, you know, you as the attorney get questions that start to border on something more akin to what a broker would know. So how, right. how have you found to navigate that? 
Right. I, yeah, I always recommend legal counsel. It's not my place. You know, now if attorneys advising on market conditions, then that's that's the overstepping that boundary. But yeah, to, to make that line clear, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I don't really get too involved in I just, you know, mainly it's at least uh, the terms in the LOI. That's what we're drafting. Right. And then the attorney takes it from there. And any kind of clauses or exclusions and things like that, that is not, you know, that's not my place. I'm not writing that contract. I'm not writing that lease. So um, that's where I recommend that attorneys involved in that. Right. And, um, you know, obviously a lawyer likes to be involved at the LOI stage just to have mm -hmm. last eyes on mm -hmm. it before it gets signed. There's inevitably one or two things that, you know, we like to try to get in there because if you don't and you get the lease and you say, well, it was my client's understanding that she was going to have two options and there's only one in the LOI, it's very hard to convince the other side to give me that second option because it's right. not in the LOI and the LOI is supposed to be the roadmap. Now, I've also been able to use that against the other side where uh, one time somebody forget forgot to put in rent bumps for each of the years of the term of the lease. And, you know, they basically called and said, you know, we can't start off at all if we can't have rent bumps. And I said, well, I'm not going to kill the deal because of that, but your broker forgot it. So I can't do his job for him, you know. Right. Um, and and I, I always think that more eyes is always better. You know, if you have me look at it for one hour, it's one hour of my time and more eyes are going to catch things that maybe just, you know, the original parties didn't. Not that I'm a complete mm -hmm. and, you know, omniscient per person <laughs> that never makes a mistake in my life, um, certainly, but, you know, I always feel like it's, it's, most, it's better to have both. And I also agree completely with Charlie. There are many, many things that brokers do that I have no experience and no understanding of. I don't know market conditions. I don't want to know them. I sort of know, generally speaking, if the real estate economy is good or not mm -hmm. based on the questions that I'm fielding. Uh, but, you know, I don't have any sense as to whether this space is going to work out better for you than this space based on the numbers. You know, I really want my brokers to be aggressive in, in helping their tenants understand mm -hmm. those types of issues. Right. Well, and you gave us an example uh, when we were having a conversation yesterday about specific phrases that a broker might see, you know, in documentation and paperwork sure. that are sort of a flag for you need to call an attorney if you see this phrase or this terminology. Um, yeah, the one the one that I gave was an easement. Uh -huh. And I what I said was, you know, don't feel badly that it's not in your wheelhouse. I don't really want to understand fully cap rates and when they're, you know, what when it goes up, if it's good, when it goes down, if it's mm -hmm. bad, all of that. Like an easement is a legal concept that has many ramifications. And just I'll try to be brief with the story. But <laughs> the um, the brokers came to me with a contract that had a closing condition of a removal of a private utility easement. And I asked the brokers to come in a little bit before the client came in. And I said to them, yeah, I see this in your contract. And they said, yeah, we need you to remove it. And I said, okay, well, here's the plat. And there are nine private utility easements on this property. Which one were you talking about? You didn't properly identify it. So what happens if I now go through all the work to get this private utility easement removed? And then the buyer says, that wasn't the one I meant. I meant one of the other eight. So, you know, you have to be specific in understanding the ramifications of, of properly identifying an easement making sure you understand what the actual closing condition is and and getting an attorney involved if there are terms that are outside the normal forms that have been provided by um, the Colorado Real Estate Commission. Mm -hmm. Well, this next question, I think, is one of our favorites, but and, and it's sort of related to what some of what you're discussing, but 
what bad advice or suggestions do you see people either giving or receiving? Because, I mean, this is, again, we're, we're talking about potentially thousands of dollars a month and the, the health and wellness of a person's business and their personal livelihood. So in my mind, this is something that you wouldn't want to take lightly, but that doesn't mean that there aren't still bad recommendations or oversights that are, that are occurring. So are there other other things that you found that are like really, really important for Yeah. So one instance comes to mind. I had uh, someone come to me who um, signed a five-year lease in Cherry Creek and um, basically was simultaneously applying for a small business loan and signed the lease prior to having the loan committed. So um, there was just a lack of either understanding or communication between the client and the lawyer at the time as far as it being a condition precedent to the lease that she obtained the loan, right? So that seems pretty logical and rational. And obviously a landlord would understand that because otherwise the projections that the landlord was given are probably not relevant, not not accurate. Um, and that wasn't done. And then, um, you know, the question was posed to me, well, why didn't my lawyer tell me that I couldn't afford this property? And I said, well, that's not really the lawyer's job. You have to make your business decisions and the lawyer has to protect you as far as the legality of the lease. Um, and, you know, had I been involved at that point and understood that she was applying for a small business loan, um, I would have made sure that that was a, a condition prior to the execution of the lease or the effective you know, mm-hmm. the, the uh, commencement date of the lease. So if you sign a lease, you they can, you know, basically understand that you, you've got the space. And as soon as you get that loan, the commencement date can, can occur. So, you know, um, that's just one example. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, people are sort of lackadaisical about leases in general. They're not reading them. They're not understanding the terms. Um, and, um, there are some things that you deal with on a monthly basis as a tenant that you should understand in your lease. Right. What are some of the things that, I, I guess, to speak to that, that, sure. that you see being either mishandled or, or just sure. ignored? This is a good segue for me to say that this is not legal advice. Sure. And I can't provide legal mm-hmm. advice on a podcast. Happy to mm-hmm. uh, expand on that otherwise. But, um, you know, in general, understanding your camps, understanding what... Um, who's responsible for what frequently landlords will say all of the things that you're going to pay for and they're going to flow through to the tenant. Mm-hmm. And then miraculously in the lease, they don't have the obligation to do any of that maintenance that they can charge you for. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you know, that's one thing I, I like to make sure I, I watch out for um, making sure that options are clearly stated in the lease. And if you can negotiate that option rent um, prior to the execution of the lease, because if, if you get into the option <laughs> or yeah, um, market rate can be astronomical, right? Uh-huh. Between five years ago. Um, and you know, I had a, I had a, a client who had a very expensive medical build out on a, a, a premises in, again, in Cherry Creek and, uh, they got to the option and the landlord, you know, was basically able under the lease to charge whatever they wanted. So they doubled the rent. Oof. And um, essentially, the entirety of the build-out that the tenant had spent was a wash. It was a wipeout. I mean, he could take some of the equipment out and move it to a different space, but most of it was for that space in particular. And so, I mean, that's brutal. That that goes to your bottom line. That eats away at your profits for years. Right. I would say even a clause of relocating. I've seen some of these yes. bigger retail yeah. centers want to do that. And I, I said, you know, that's, you know, I... 
that could really hurt your business. I mean, if you have to relocate and there's Absolutely. not another place in the center, uh, you know, and I, I tell, I, I work with a lot of smaller users and I just tell them, look, you're, you're a small potato. When you're dealing with a center with 30 tenants, honestly, you're not a big deal to them. You're right. just kind of more of a pain because you're not generating enough money in, in your, in your rent. So I let them know that like up front, this is probably going to be a, a process, you know, don't expect them to jump over, uh, jump over hoops to get a thousand square foot space leased up when right. they have 80,000. Uh, and they're looking to go after the big 10,000, 15,000 square foot tenants. I'll piggyback off of that too. You should never let anybody build on top of you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that will yeah. essentially you know, shut down your business depending on what kind of business it is. But I mean, imagine, imagine someone constructing a space on top of your existing space and you trying to maintain your normal course of business throughout that experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, 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 I think of this because it's about to happen. I'm staying in a hotel that is being renovated and, 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 you know, this isn't even a business that I own, but, you know, having to walk to my room with the walls covered in plastic, like, you know, small things like this can be disruptive to the, the experience of, of just a user of a space, much less the person who, this is my business. This is my space. I own it. This is what's generating my livelihood. Um, so it's, it's not a small consideration. Right. Also, um, one other thing I think anybody should consider is whether they uh, think in their next five years that they're going to be cons uh, expanding or retracting as far as the amount of space that they right need. Right sizing. Right sizing. Mm -hmm. and, and determining whether or not if, the, you know, if their plans are expanding, if there's room on either side of you to do so. If there's not, then huh. that's out the window. So take it into consideration at the beginning. Right. Well, so then I guess to, to zoom out a little bit, I mean, again, this is this is very detail intensive work that requires a lot of um, attentiveness. Um, how do you see what you do kind of fitting into broader goals that you have for, for your work, for your life in general? Because this is something that I, I always find it fascinating to see how our dispositions and the work that we're attracted to fits into and affects how we're doing everything else. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that 75% of being a lawyer is actually being a counselor and mm -hmm. you have to understand your client's problems and uh, goals and help them get to that point. And a lot of times that's not in the negotiation of the document. That's thinking about different, you know, ways to do different things, ways to problem solve. I think right. that I, I excel at problem solving in general. And so that's where I've really tried to bring that into my practice and, and create value for my clients. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are just a person behind a desk spitting out a contract that you've spit out a million times, that's really not value and, and your clients aren't developing relationships with you. And the more you can develop your relationships with your clients and your customers, and the more that you can provide excellent service above and uh, above anybody else, mm -hmm. um, that's when people are going to come back to you. That's when people are going to refer to you um, and continue to use you. So that's, that's really where I've, where I've seen my success and my business grow. I love that. Well, and that reminds me too of one of the things that we spoke about the other day as well as, and this is going to be a, a gigantic generalization, but I, I look at kids that are younger than, you know, all of us in this room and their ability to use technology is mind boggling. But I feel like the struggle oftentimes comes in the form of dealing with other human beings face to face, building meaningful relationships, having strong connections. And, and I've seen that not every single person that is alive looks at the value of relationships in the same way. You seem to obviously have that value. So I guess out of personal curiosity, what are some of the things that you've seen 
bring value to yourself or that you've been able to do for other people that are valuable because of this notion of relationships and connection with people. Right. Um, I mean, obviously good communication. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we talked about using technology to calendar important events. I know Mm -hmm. that sounds so silly and simple, but (laughs) you know, I've had things where I'll, I'll, you know, check back with a client two years later and say, Hey, you were supposed to get some, you know, unit appreciation rights. Did you get them on this date? Oh, I totally forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me. And, you know, otherwise they're leaving that money on the table, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, even as simple as, you know, doing the registered trademark um, update, the use of, of, of the trademark. I've had clients that come to me and they say, we forgot to file and they, you know, they terminated our trademark and then you can't just reissue it. You have to go back and reapply and, you know, right. it's, a, it's a pain in the butt. And I so, would say your classes too. You said you, you've given brokers. Yeah. So I've been, I've been, um, I've been actively trying to give some educational um, assessments to different brokerages um, on common pitfalls of commercial leasing that I've seen just, you know, I've had a few in the past few years that have just sort of stuck with me that I, I want people to understand. Let me try to give you a short example of one. Um, I had a client who um, called me and said, look, my, my lawyer's not responding. She's not doing this lease fast enough. They're saying if we don't get it back to the landlord by tomorrow, we're going to lose the space. I said, well, how long have you had the lease? And she said a week. And I said, okay, well, let's just stop. Anybody who's asking you to respond within a week or by tomorrow wants you to do something that maybe you should be holding, mm-hmm. holding off on. Okay. Like there's the world is not ending tomorrow. Rome is not burning. Mm-hmm. Let's take a breath and figure out what's, you know, what's really happening here. And it turns out, so I got the lease. I left on an airplane. I flew to Nashville. I reviewed it while I was on the plane and on the plane, I figure out that this is a, luckily I knew the space. It was a former restaurant and she wanted to put a Pilates studio in it. And they only wanted to give her $50,000 of tenant finish. So, and the area that she was supposed to get was the back half of the restaurant where I know the hood and the oh, restaurant equipment still exists. Yeah. Heavy so, stuff. right, right. And so I, you know, I said to her, I called her and I said, look, I don't want you to think this is a big, scary world, but if you had signed that lease, you would have had to file bankruptcy because there is absolutely no way you could have afforded changing that space into a Pilates studio with $50,000. No way. There was not even ingress and egress. There was not a storefront. There was nothing. Wow. So that's why they wanted her to sign that lease because she was obligated, you know, for the term of the lease and for all of the. Right. And, and it's, costs. A small, it's a small community, and you know, Lorenzo knows I am. I am one that I will expose people. I'll give unsolicited advice, and I don't care. You know, like I think if we had, we need to do it. We need to raise the bar because the bar has been set so low, especially especially in the brokerage community. It's just it's not there. And it needs to it needs to get raised. So when you see landlords like that or brokers that aren't being transparent with that, you know, I, I take full account and I will make sure they know. I'll make sure the owner knows. I don't have a problem making a broker look bad. If it's if the if the broker's committing unethical, you know, uh, whatever, you know, I, I no problem letting the owner know. Right. So I had one instance of that that I'll briefly talk about as well, where um, the my clients were selling a piece of property that happened to be two lots, but it was a commercial and a residential lot as one. I mean, they had the residence and a, and a garage and the broker convinced them to sell the two lots and go under contract as two separate lots, not knowing that the garage encroached upon the residential property Mm -hmm. by a foot and a half. So now what do you do? You're under contract with two separate parties. You have, you know, 
you you have repped and warranty that you have full and you know clear title to sell right. it, but you you have an encroachment problem. So you can figure out a lot adjustment, you can figure right. out an easement, you know, whatever you can do, but you have to do it by the closing date because otherwise you're gonna be a breach and you can't deliver, right? Um, and then as it as it unfolded, it got uglier before it got worse, which is generally the case with commercial real estate. Yeah. <laughs> um and my client said, I don't understand how this is still going on. We don't remember signing that amend extend or those three amend extends. And I was what? like, what do you mean? And they said, we, we thought this was over. We thought that this terminated three months ago. And so I emailed the broker and I said, you know, send me the CTM receipt that you have showing the IP address as to signing these amend extends. And he said, well, you know, I think I took my tablet to him and he signed it on my tablet. And I said, what is the difference between you taking your tablet and having him sign it mm-hmm. or you sitting in your home and forging his signature and you signing it yourself? And he went, Ugh. needless to say, they got sued and uh, those brokers got into Ouch. some trouble for that. So, you know, I'm just like, I'm not out here to string brokers. Right, up. right. I love the brokers I work yeah. with. I think they're fantastic for the most part. The brokers on the other side can't always be the same, you know, and you have to just, you have to understand that there are going to be some bad eggs in every single, you know, career, every single job that every single person you come across, maybe a good one, maybe a bad one. You're going to come across some bad ones. So I would just say understanding the importance of good, uh, surrounding yourself with good advice, good advisors um, Mm -hmm. is incredibly important. Yeah. Well, and I think just to, kind of put a bow on that it also just speaks to the value of obviously having good advisory expertise around you but also knowing what the individuals around you are good at because one thing that Charlie and I love to do and, I, and it sounds like you do this as well is I mean we live in a world where you you can measure the value of anything if you try hard enough and it's very easy to get stuck in an overly transactional way of existing but you know when you see people that you know will be a good fit together it just makes a lot of sense to help kind of connect the dots because a lot of times, you know, you won't always be able to get value directly for yourself, but you can still help someone get the solution that they needed. And that's just as valuable in my eyes. So it's, it's always encouraging to see, you know, other folks doing that because it's, you know, I, it, it's, it's not a common perspective that a person looks at everyone around them and figures out how they can stitch people together based on, you know, who's a good fit. And I certainly agree with that. I think expanding your network, linking people together um, is imperative in this business. I mean, Denver is a, it's a growing community, but it's still very much a small community in the real estate industry. And and the more that you know, the people that are around you working in the same community, the ones that you can trust with, you know, not only representing your clients, but also, Hey, I have a a question on this. I know it's not your deal, but do you mind talking me through? What do you think about X, Y, Z? Those people are imperative in your life because Mm -hmm. you're going to come across things that you didn't necessarily think were going to shake out the way they did. And sometimes someone has had that experience and they've already gone through the battle and, you know, no need to uh, get burned twice. (laughs) So I think that's really important. I think that was your question earlier and I apologize for. No, (laughs) it's okay. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I would bring it up because, you know, on a personal note, I used to always make fun of my parents for flapping their mouths and talking to everyone everywhere we went. And as a little kid, I thought it was the most annoying thing ever (laughs) until I grew up and realized that's how you get things. Absolutely. If you can, you know, 
obviously you need to have a certain amount of value that you can provide and create, but being able to just get along with people and, and be enjoyable to be around is, 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 is no small matter because, you know, I, I know that I can be difficult sometimes, but when I interact with someone who I experience as being challenging that I don't want to be around, I think to myself, that doesn't help the world operate more smoothly. So when people can get along and, and you can see how other people besides you can benefit from knowing each other, um, it's it's nice to be able to recognize that you know, I'm not always going to get everything I want, but if I can help someone else get what they want, that can actually feel good, if not better. And it'll come back on you. I mean, you never know what, what you've done, what work you've done. Hey, I heard you helped this person do X. I want you to help me do Y. It comes, it comes right. around. It really does. That's awesome. Well, so I guess, you know, two final questions, you know, what are some of the things that you're doing for yourself now, either personally, professionally, et cetera, that you're finding are bringing you a lot of value? Sure. Um, I think, like I said earlier, helping uh, the commercial brokers that I work with have a little bit uh, more uh, understanding of certain pitfalls so that they can avoid it. Certainly the younger ones. Um, I'm also, I also sit on, um, one of the loan committees for Colorado lending source, which is a, um, financial arm that helps small businesses. And I find that to be incredibly rewarding. Um, we've had some really amazing success stories mm -hmm. on, and I sit on the main street loan committee, which is a max loan of $50,000. So it doesn't seem like a, a lot, but we've had some really amazing successes. Um, and I also just recently was elected to the, uh, Cherry Creek chamber board. And being a part of that chamber, I think, is really special. It's very small compared to Denver. And so you really develop meaningful relationships. Mm -hmm. And I, I really have enjoyed my time there. Um, and, you know, networking in general, keeping my myself out there um, and, and um, linking friends that I know are doing a good job in this community with clients. Love it. Well, so lastly, where can people learn more about you, your company, your work, et cetera? You know, having sure. you come speak to them if they want to learn more about your particular expertise absolutely please uh please do feel free to reach out our our law website is ruddylaw.com r-u-d-d-y law.com and and my you can find me on linkedin my first name is spelled j-e-s-s-e-n gregory um i'll answer to jess or jessen but definitely not jesse under any circumstances <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah and uh and my email address i believe is on the website otherwise it's jl gregory at ready law com. So happy to help. And I, also, if I'm not the right lawyer for whatever it is that you're looking for, I, I work very hard to find you a good referral. Amazing.